Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Stein, and today's message is from our new Grand Point United Campus pastor, Dan Culbertson. Today's message is about looking on the bright side when we have our doubts. Doubt is defined as a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. This definition seems to totally contradict what we know or have been taught about faith. Today's message reveals that no matter how strong our faith is, at some point we may experience doubt. But instead of being a sign of weakness, doubt can actually be something that causes us to dig deeper into our relationship with God and can even make our faith stronger. If you'd like to follow along with today's final message in our Bright Side series, our feature verses come from John 20, 19 to 23. Man, how are y'all doing this morning? Feeling good? Having good weekends? Hey, this morning we are going to just jump right in. We're, we're trying to tackle a, a topic that I think sometimes um, in the church we avoid a little bit because I think it has a little bit of a stigma. Um, and we're, we're going to be talking about doubt today. Because a lot of times I think we, we've got this fake idea that if you have doubt in your life, then how can you have faith? Um, but this morning we're going to dive in on that and we are going to clear up that issue a little bit. We're going to talk through it. Uh, And I just want to start off by talking about one of those moments in my life where I know I experienced doubt probably the most than I I ever have. Um, And this would have been my freshman year of college, actually. Um, I had become a Christian as a a junior high-aged kid. Uh, I went through public school. So for me, living out your faith was something that was pretty obvious. Um, As I was going through my day-to-day life, the 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 way in which I lived my life was different than so much of what was going on around me. And I think for me it was a really cool proving grounds because when you're a Christian living in a world that just doesn't have that same worldview, it's a challenge. You have to figure out, man, how do I make my my life line up with the way in which God wants me to instead of what everyone else is doing? Well, I went from that and chose to go to a Christian university. So I went to Philadelphia Biblical University. Um, It's now Karen University. That's where I started things off, and my first year there wrecked me. (laughs) I had such a crazy, challenging time because I went from this, my entire life I was living in just the regular public school everyone else here probably has experienced, and I knew that there was something different about being a follower of Jesus. Now I'm at a place where all these people are claiming to be followers of Jesus, but they didn't live any differently than all these public school kids that I was around. And so I, I had a tough time. I, mean, I wrestled pretty hard. And it got to the point where I was doubting, what, what's the point of all this? Like, if that's, if that's what a Christian is supposed to look like, and I've apparently been doing it wrong this whole time, what's up? Like, what's going on here? So I, I struggled. I was doubting. I started pushing um, God kind of away from me. I, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't in my Bible, I wasn't praying, I wasn't doing all these things. And for probably about that first, my whole first year then of school, that was the world I lived in. I was in this place where deep down inside I, I assumed God was probably real, but I was at this point where I wasn't living that. And, and I had these doubts in my heart that made it so hard to even want to try and face that. Well, I kind of went through that in, in a real numb way. I just kept... Plodding on, plodding on and plodding on. And then finally, I remember just breaking down and spending some time in prayer. 
And, and a lot of times for me, what that has looked like in the past is I'm sitting down praying, but I also have a guitar in my hands because that's just kind of the way I'm wired. And, and so I was praying to God, just so sick of the way I was feeling, so sick of the numbness, so sick of all this doubt inside me. And I'm like, God, you know what? If you're real, I need you to do something about that because I can't, I don't, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's real. And I was dealing with this doubt. And, and I remember as I was kind of playing my guitar and working through some stuff, stuff I came upon this song um, from the band Jars of Clay called Worlds Apart. And that song, um, the whole song is just laid out as this whole like struggle of dealing with your life and dealing with sin and dealing with these tensions of, man, I know that's what you want from me, but I'm, I'm over here being busy doing stuff. And the chorus builds up to this point where it's, where it's a cry out to God that says, take my world apart so that I can love you. Take my world apart so that I can be connected with you. And so I remember in earnestness praying that. And I will say very clearly, be careful how you pray, <laughs> because God answered that prayer within a few weeks. So the school year wrapped up, I found myself on my way back home, and in that process I went through a nasty breakup where I was just crushed. I found out my parents were separating, which crushed me even more. I was working a job that I really did not enjoy, and I'm getting up at 5 in the morning every day to go to this thing I hated, and then... I wrecked a dirt bike going like 40 miles an hour and got all messed up. And, and so not only was I emotionally broken and spiritually broken, now I'm physically broken. And for the first time in months, I opened my Bible. And all of a sudden, that original experience I had with interacting with Jesus came flooding back to me. And I was spending time reading and I was being consumed by peace and hope and joy and love and all of these things that have been missing because I had been keeping God out here because of my doubts. See, God answered my prayer in a pretty big way. He took my world apart. He took away all these things that I was comfortable in and he made me face this, this, this issue of doubt and this faith thing that I had going on in my heart. The crazy thing about that is, is through that process, I started volunteering again in the youth ministry, and then through all of that, I ended up being called into ministry. So God took this time of doubt in my life, and he used it to move me forward. See, the subsequent renewal and strengthening of my faith was something that proved to me that God is bigger than my doubts. And see, that is the reality this morning that we are going to be talking about. God is bigger than our doubts. And, and maybe the doubts aren't these, these big, lofty things of, is God real? But all of us have this thing inside of us. See, these seasons of doubt are not this horrible lapse in faith that oftentimes we try and paint it as. It's not this issue of us being completely unfaithful to God, but it is an opportunity for God to help us work through it and to make our faith stronger. Because when we allow God the space to reveal himself in our doubt, he can make our faith so much stronger. And the crazy thing to me is doubt creeps into our lives and into our worlds in so many ways. And, and I think some of us here this morning are probably wrestling through some of this. And it may not be the big question of is God's real, but when you're dealing with things like you're going through a job loss, right? And you're sitting back and you're like, God, you said you're a provider. Where are you? Or maybe you've been hurt by somebody. Maybe you're dealing with that world and that reality of whether it's verbally or physically or whatever you're dealing with, you've been hurt and you're dealing with that and you ask God, God, 
provide me some healing in this, and it seems like he's silent. Or maybe you just look at the world around you, and you're like, man, there's a lot of messed up stuff going on. How are you letting this happen, God? See, all of these things, I think, are big questions. And all of those big questions lead us to this place where we may find ourselves wondering if God's real. Or it may just push us to a place where we begin to doubt God's will in our lives. Maybe we're at this point where we're looking at doubt or looking at our just everyday life, maybe the plan that we think God has for us, and we sit there and we doubt, God, why, why is this happening this way? Are you sure you want to use me? Am I the one? Am I the right person for the job? Is that what's going on? This morning, I don't think we're really going to look into the question of, is it okay? Well, we do a little bit. Is it okay to have doubts? As much as we're looking at the question of when doubt comes, how is it handled? Because I believe that most everyone in this room is going to experience doubt. <laughs> at some point in their walk, at some point in their journey with Jesus, they are going to find this place where they have doubts. But when we face our doubts in an honest and real way, God shows us that he is bigger than those doubts. And he's bigger than our questions. Last week, we, we had a crazy time in here in Easter. Man, it was an awesome week. Um, but we were looking at the beginning of John 20, where Mary is confronted with the resurrected Jesus, right? So we went through that whole story. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus. And we are actually going to pick up this morning, more or less, right where that story last week left off. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 19. It will be up here on the screens. But that's where we're going to dig in here this morning, because this piece of the story is one that really helps us highlight what doubt looks like when it comes to our faith. So verse 19 picks up, on the evening of that day, so this is the same day that Jesus has just appeared to Mary, and she's actually run and told the disciples, Jesus is back, and so they're gathered together. So on the evening of that day, like the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, so the doors are locked because Jesus was just beaten, arrested, crucified, and they think because of their association with him, they're in that much danger as well. So they've got the doors locked. They're kind of hiding when they're doing this whole thing. And Jesus came, and he stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven in them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus appears to the disciples. And he appears in a miraculous way because they're in a locked room and Jesus somehow is there. It doesn't really describe whether some, some say maybe he walked through the locked doors, whatever. But Jesus is there. And Jesus is present. And he reveals himself to be resurrected. And, and as the proof of his resurrection, he shows them his hands and the nails he shows the, the hole in his side that happened at the crucifixion. See, there are some people in this time period that think that maybe Jesus was just trying to hoodwink people, and it wasn't actually him at all. But he shows those wounds as proof he's resurrected. And he breathes his Holy Spirit upon the disciples and sends them. That's a crazy experience, but it's the next part that we're really going to dig in on. And when I say the name of the disciple that isn't present in this whole situation, 
Most of you, if you've been around church or you've been, if you've experienced anything there, you probably have another title for him. But we're going to be looking at Thomas. And the first thing that comes to mind when you say Thomas in reference to the disciples, if you've experienced this in the past, is doubtful Thomas or doubting Thomas, right? I think we might be a little bit unfair to Thomas. Not to say that he doesn't experience doubt, because he most definitely does, and we're going to look at that here this morning, but we don't look at the other disciples and we don't go, man, that's denying Peter. Yep, that's what he does, he's denying Peter. We don't look at Levi, that's tax man Levi, coming around, take your money. We don't do that with any of the other, other disciples, but Thomas, because of this event that we look at here, we've, we've given him this name, but I think, actually, the reality is, I don't know that he is, by nature, a doubtful person. He is a careful person. You'll see that he, throughout, throughout Scripture, he's always asking questions and trying to figure things out and be engaged in that way, but I honestly think he's probably just a normal guy. I think he's just like so many of us that we've got questions and we are trying to figure out the reality of who Jesus is. And I think that's where Thomas is coming from. In fact, Thomas proves himself to be a faithful follower of Jesus time and time again. In fact, there's a point in a story that we read just a few weeks ago when we were talking about Lazarus, right? We talked about the point where Lazarus has died and Jesus has just found out that Lazarus is dead and he's going to go to perform the miracle to, to raise him from the dead. And as that is occurring, Thomas is the one that looks at all of the disciples and goes, we need to be there. Let's go. We need to be there. Even if that means we die with him, we need to be there. Thomas is the one who brings them forward. At the Last Supper, when Jesus is explaining how he is going to be killed and raised from the dead, and that he is doing it to prepare a place for them, that he is doing it to provide salvation and eternal life for them, and he's trying to describe this to the disciples, and they're not getting it, Thomas is the one who speaks up. Thomas is the one who says, hey, we don't know where you're going. How can we follow you? See, Thomas didn't get it. He didn't get what Jesus was saying, but neither did the rest of the disciples. They just weren't willing to speak up about it. But Thomas does. I don't think Thomas is this Eeyore character that we paint him as. I don't think he's going to go, oh, I just don't know, Jesus. I, I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's just like the rest of us. I think he's trying to figure all this out, and he's experienced Jesus, and he understands that Jesus is real, but he just doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus has been sharing this thing, and I don't think any of the disciples do. And in fact, I don't know that any of us would have got it if we were there either. But sometimes we like to, because of our, our, our hindsight, we're able to look back at what happened. We're like, man, how do they not get this? But I think if we were there in the moment, it would be the same thing for us. In verse 24, it continues, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said, Unless I see the, the nail marks in his hands and place my finger in the mark of his side, I will not, never believe. So for whatever reason, Thomas isn't there when Jesus comes to the rest of the disciples. Maybe Thomas had some other business. Maybe he had something with family. Maybe he was afraid because of the Jews and what's going on there. Maybe he just doesn't want to be reminded of Jesus. He followed this guy for years and now he's dead, at least in his mind. Maybe he just doesn't want to face that yet. And his friends are all the ones that are there. For whatever reason, Jesus, or Thomas misses an experience with Jesus because he's not present with the other believers. 
We don't really have a ton of time to dig in on that comment here today, and we will look at it a little bit briefly, but how often do we miss an experience with Jesus because we've got something else going on, and we don't make the time to be connected with other followers of Christ? Just a little bit of food for thought there. The second thing that happens in this section, though, is Thomas doesn't believe the others. you got to think. These guys have tons of credibility for him. He has lived the last few years of his life with these ten guys. He knows them well. There's no reason for him to go, you guys are lying to me. You're trying to trick me. But that's what it feels like he's doing here. In fact, he, he goes to the point of drawing a line in the sand and saying, unless I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe it. I think a lot of us would probably take a similar stance. And I know that's hard to say from our perspectives, but I think that in our current day thinking, and the way in which the world tends to turn around us, logic and reason are prudent things. And from Thomas's standpoint, someone coming back from the dead has only happened in his sight once, and Jesus was the one who did it. So if Jesus is dead, how's Jesus the one doing this, right? So in his mind, he's trying to put the pieces together, and he's like, I need proof. Sorry, guys. I need the proof. I can't see it. And I think a lot of us probably struggle in that same world today because I think that's a very common thought process for all of us. In verse 26, it picks up and says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers him, My Lord and my God. Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet still believe. Jesus returns for the sake of Thomas. I think also it's for our sakes as well. Because we begin to see this story and this is the fleshing out of what Jesus talked about earlier in one of his parables, right? He talks about the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. This is Jesus living that out in real life. He returns for Thomas, one of 11, who's choosing not to believe when confronted with the truth. And Jesus comes for his sake. And I think it's because he cares so much for Thomas, just as he cares so much for each of us, that he would return just for our sakes to help confront our doubts and allow us to be able to come closer to him. And the crazy thing about it is he confronts Thomas in his same words. Jesus wasn't there, in, at least physically, in his presence whenever Thomas lays the line in the sand, right? But what's the first thing that Jesus says to him? Put your hand in the hole, put your hand in the holes in my hand. Put your hand in the hole in my side. Exactly the burden of proof that Thomas threw down. See, Jesus faces Thomas' doubts in a way that he immediately, you are God and Lord. That's incredible. See, Jesus was not afraid of Thomas' doubt. He didn't stay away from his doubts. And here's the crazy thing about that, too, is when we realize that he is bigger than our doubts, God won't let that get in his way of reconnecting with us. See, I think if any of us 
had somebody doubting in us the same level that Thomas is doubting in Jesus, we would probably be pretty frustrated. In fact, I have a feeling we would either blow them off or we would try and argue them into understanding our viewpoint, right? But God handles our questions in a way where he doesn't condemn Thomas for his disbelief. He does say it would have been better if you had believed. But he doesn't turn and trash him. Instead, he shows him the proof that he's asking so that he can overcome his doubt. See, I think doubt's just, a, it's a very normal experience in our relationship with Jesus, but I think that the important thing about doubt is that when we're aware of it, we need to face it honestly. And we need to face it with other people. I think otherwise what our tendency to do is we get in our own heads and we live with it, we let it mull over, and eventually it becomes complacency, and eventually complacency becomes a thing where we just push God out of the picture because we've allowed this doubt to tumble around in our heads, and we haven't faced it honestly in front of God, and we haven't faced it honestly in front of the people around us that can help us work through it. So what does all this matter if we find ourselves in this place of doubt? How should we handle this? Well, first off, I don't think we need to be afraid to present our doubts to God. And I don't think we need to be afraid to express our doubts to others. In fact, when other people express their doubts to us, Jude 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them up from the fire. If that's what God's asking of us, do you think that he would do anything otherwise? Have mercy on those who doubt. When we honestly address our questions with God, it first off, it reveals our faith in Him. I know that seems like a little bit of a catch-22, but when we're willing to come to God with the same doubt that we're wrestling with, it shows that at a deeper level, we understand that God is real and that we're working through that. And then second of all, if we give God the space in our lives to challenge our doubt and disbelief, He is able to interject in a way it transforms our lives and allows us to look it. I think sometimes the answer God gives us ends up being something really challenging. Like in the story I gave earlier, there's one of those moments that, and I'll say this again, I said it in a sermon recently too, it, I call it one of those holy two-by-four moments where God had to take a two-by-four and knock me upside the head to get my attention. But God is willing to do that for our sakes. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's a challenge. But when we are able to face those things with him and he's able to pull us through it, we come to a place where our lives begin to be transformed. You're not going to offend God when you ask him these sort of questions. He is bigger than that. He is bigger than our doubts. He can handle our disbelievers. I think there have been times in my life where I felt like I had gone so far away from God that I had pushed him out and my doubts and whatever I was dealing with left him so far in the dust that for me to go back to him was going to be such a crazy challenge. But I can tell you every single time that I've earnestly turned back to him, it turns out he was standing right behind me the whole time. The beauty of the cross is that nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus. Romans 8. I think the other thing that's incredibly important when we're working through doubt is that we make sure we do it in the company of other believers. Notice, regardless of his refusal to believe, 
Thomas is still there with the other believers. He's still hanging out with them. He's spending time with them. And this is eight days after this event happens, right? So that's eight days that Jesus could have come to Thomas at any point in time and fixed this whole thing and been done with it. But instead he waits until he's in the presence of these other believers. That's not to say that, that God won't speak to us individually. In fact, you just rewind a little bit to the beginning of the chapter. He comes to Mary when she's on her own. But I do believe that when we are surrounded with other believers, they can help carry the weight for us. They can help us figure these things out. And then beyond that, we know that Jesus works and reveals in, those, in the ways of his people. That's, I think, what we're about here at Vampire. We want to make sure that we have a place here where everybody can figure out what it means to walk out of a relationship with Jesus. We want to make sure that everyone figures out what their next steps are when they're trying to sort this whole thing out. Because all of us are going through this life, and we might be at different places in our journey, but we are all trying to walk this out together. And we want Grand Point to be a safe place where you can ask questions, you can express doubts, you can experience God in a way that's life-changing. This is one of the most important reasons for us to have circles. And if you're not involved in a circle, I really want to encourage you guys, get plugged in because this is your opportunity. Because in this crowd, I love, I love us being together. I love us being in the big picture of all of this. But it's easy to become a face in a seat, right? It's easy to be that one person kind of hiding. But when you're able to allow yourself to become a part of a group that's smaller, all of a sudden you can allow these people to be more familiar with what's going on in your heart and in your lives. And I think the other side of that coin is whenever we struggle and we have these doubts and we let them live in our heads, once again, I know I mentioned this earlier, but we tend to rewind it and work it and work through it, but our perspective is limited. So when we never let other people hear what we're going through, we have the tendency to just run on this hamster wheel and be stuck in a place where we can't ever overcome it. Luckily, God is bigger than our doubts. And he will help us go through those things. And when he does that, he allows our faith to grow strong. Picture what this looks like with me. Think about times in your life where maybe you were experiencing something that you would, you would express as doubt, right? I know all of us have experienced something where we're wrestling through that. What do you think it would have been like for you when you were in that place? If you were able to turn to others and ask those questions honestly. Do you think it would have helped you come through it? Better? I know for me it would have. Because the crazy thing about my whole story was when I finally got to the point where I turned back to God and I was reading my Bible, the first thing I did was go back to the church. And when I got involved with volunteering with youth ministry, my former youth pastor came alongside me, and he helped me walk through that. And here, here's one of those crazy moments. This is kind of like a pause. It's like a bigger picture. This, this piece of my story is something that's always been pretty crazy to me, because this is a lot of my journey of how I got called into ministry. At the end of this story, and, and I didn't touch base on this earlier, my former youth pastor actually came to me, and he said, you know, I could see you being a pastor someday. And I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> and I pushed him off the side. And, and just this week in particular, as I'm working through this, I'm like, I need to give him a call. <laughs> I actually did talk to him this week about that, so it's kind of crazy. 
But let's be honest. If you're not the one experiencing doubt right now, someone around you is. Someone in your circle of influence is dealing with something. Someone in our community is. Maybe they've heard about Jesus, but for whatever reason, they're approaching him with skepticism, approaching him with doubt. And if that person's not you, you need to learn how to be the person who can be there for them. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's one of your coworkers. Maybe you know that they're wrestling through things and you've just never allowed your, your voice to be heard in that conversation. And I'm not saying that we need to try and force them into some sort of belief, but when people understand that they have the ability to come to you on something that's a challenge, most people are willing to share that. They just need to know that you care about them first. Maybe it's someone at school. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Do you allow yourself to be that someone who's there when someone's trying to work for yourself? Or do you keep it at arm's length because it's scary? Because it is. And maybe you feel like you don't have all the answers. And you're afraid that someone's going to ask you a question that you can't answer. What I've found is, in, in my situations in life, I, I remember very clearly, I had a student once, that this was his world, right? He actually was a self-proclaimed atheist. He was trying to wrestle through all of these things. And, and I remember him asking some ridiculously hard questions. And I remember there being moments where I couldn't answer those questions. But it's amazing how whenever I said, you know, I really don't know that, but I'll find out. And then I found my time being spent studying or, or talking with pastors or working through some other things just to try and find some answers for this kid. And the crazy thing about that whole story is, is even through all of that, just because I was willing to show him that I cared and I spent time working through stuff with him, he did eventually accept Jesus. He went from being an atheist to knowing Christ. Such a crazy, amazing thing. And I know it's because God put me in the right place at the right time to just be there for him and answer questions for him. Maybe that's what God's calling you to. Pay attention to the people around you. Make sure that you're being available, especially when you see open doors. You really don't have to have all the answers, but I think as long as you are present, you can make an impact. And if you are the one struggling with doubt, don't do it by yourself. We are all here at Grand Point trying to walk the same journey. Reach out. Either connect in a circle, come talk to me. The hub stations are great places for you. The connect cards can be a great opportunity to fill out some information to say, hey, I need some help with this. Because what ends up happening is if you hit a connect card, it's going to end up on one of the pastor's desks, or it's going to end up with an elder or somebody who can help you figure out what your next step is as you try and walk this journey out and try and figure it out. We really would love to help you, and we would love to help you work through things like these questions you've got. Because we believe that God is bigger than our doubts. We've all experienced God in a way that has allowed us to show Him to show us how He is able to pull us up out of those times where we don't have any belief. And how he then uses that to transform our faith and to transform our lives. Why don't you stand and we can pray together as the worship team comes up. Uh, we are going to close this service in a song called Thank You Jesus, which I felt like was so appropriate for this whole topic because it's, it's just a reflection of us thanking him 
for what he's done in our lives and in our hearts. And especially when you're wrestling with doubt, I know for me, I am so amazingly grateful for what God has done in my life because of how he helped me overcome my doubt. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you so much that you've brought us here together to this place at this time. Lord. And we just pray that whether we're wrestling with doubt right now or whether we know people who are or whether it's even just small things in our hearts where we're, we're hesitant. Father God, we just pray that you, you continue to work and move in our lives. Allow us to understand that you care enough about us that you want us to ask these questions. You want us to be able to interact with you in a way that allows our relationship with you to grow so that you can continue to move and shape your things. Father God, we praise you so much for what you do. We just pray that you allow us to respond well in worship here, allow us to thank you for the role that you want in our lives here. I just pray that you keep us walking in you as we grow closer and closer in our everyday lives. In the name we pray. Many Christians who are very strong in their walk with God will point to the times that they had a crisis of faith or ask serious questions. Why do you think it works that way? How can doubt bring you closer to God? This week, whether on your own or with your circle, reflect on Psalm 10. What are some of the questions that David asks of God? And what do you think after reading the psalm, especially knowing that it was written by a man who truly loved God? Thanks so much for joining us today on the Grand Point Church Podcast. Your next step starts here. To learn more about us, visit grandpoint.church. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love for you to share it with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Grand Point Church. We would love to hear your thoughts about this message. We'll see you next week.